Welcome to the Authors Who Lead podcast. This podcast is dedicated to you, people who want to be inspired by authors, leaders, and the messages they share. This is such an important podcast to us because we help uncover what goes on behind the scenes when authors are writing their book. We talk about the process. We talk about where they get big ideas, and you can listen in on those conversations. We can't wait for you to join us. So let's get started. Hey everyone, Asul Tarone is here. Welcome back to another episode of Authors Who Lead. I'm thrilled to have Case Erickson here today. We share a common story. And so what's interesting about this story is that both of us were married to women. His book coming out is by going in is about his stories, his struggles, the transformation he made through this process. We're going to talk a little bit about his book, what he learned from doing the work, and how you can tell your story when you decide to show up in the way he did and use the book, as he says in a subtitle, The Freedom to Be Yourself. Uh, Case, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Asul. I appreciate you. Yeah. And not only do we share this kind of similar story, we both live here in the Austin area. So it's really cool that we're... Yes, for sure. Virtually for now. We'll so get coffee about, whenever we're legally Virtually for now. Tell me a little bit about, before we dive into this stories in the book, tell me a little bit about when you thought maybe I should write this into a book. Of course, your story could live without a book being present, but what was the reason you felt compelled to tell your story or write it in a book? That's a great question. And it wasn't necessarily, it was something that I had, people were encouraging me to do over social media. So I've always been, ever since I, I'll use the phrase, chose to live authentically. It's interesting that I have almost this, I don't want to say crusade, but almost for lack of better words, personal crusade to share myself, share my journey, share what I'm up to. And I love that social media provides me with that platform. I consider myself a writer and I just love to write and share. So I reflected, it was probably about two and a half, three years ago where it was just like, oh, I got to tell this. I got to tell the story. I had told someone some story about something and I was like, oh, I got to tell the story. And so I just started posting it on Facebook. Um, posting a story at a time or posting other things and people are like, oh my God, you need to put this in a book. I did not have a structure for the book. I didn't have anything for the book. I just was like, okay, this is everything that I need to tell and I'm going to post it on the internet and however it comes together. And it was just kind of writing from my heart. And so that's really all that it was. And so when the whole process probably took me over a year and a half, and coincidentally, you know, my father had gotten ill and passed away. He had a stroke and they found out he had all these brain tumors and then he was gone in four months after that. Mm. And so a lot of the work that I described, so I have stories in the book, but then there's also for each chapter, there's work for us to do. There's meditation, there's bull burning, there's forgiveness exercises. It's, you know, kind of like 24 steps to a more authentic self. And so a lot of my journey in that is the relationship that I have with myself, with my mother, with my father, with the universe, God, spirit, whatever you want to call it. So after he passed, it was like, okay, that felt like my final story or the final chapter. And so I didn't have any like, this is how it's going to be and this is what it's going to go. I just went with the flow and told the stories and it felt like my closure of my relationship with my father sealed that kind of bookended it, you know, because I had started out with a story about how I got to, was very present to the miracle that is life. When I was watching my son, you know, sing a little song, I think he was in sixth grade at the time, sing a little song in choir and it was actually at a church for his middle school had, you know, rented out the church for this little choir show or whatever. So I found myself in a Baptist church and not having a PTSD, not having a panic attack, not feeling like really like being able to feel 
grounded and centered and okay, you know, and beyond that, feel blessed that even though my circumstances were, you know, not quote unquote perfect, it was just, I was overwhelmed with gratitude and peace and thankfulness in that moment. And so that was the first story that I told and then ended with a funeral at my father's. He went to a Southern, he's diehard Southern Baptist Lieutenant Colonel in the Marine. Yeah. In his, at his, speaking at his funeral and speaking from my heart and not being ashamed and kind of like start with the church, end with the church and kind of book everything else in between. So that's your 27 minute answer <laughs> to your question. <laughs> right. Well, that's okay. So let's talk about that entry point. You talked about you were brought up in a particular way with a, obviously a military father and a strong faith, a background for your family and the strong Baptist tradition, even the ideas of sex outside of marriage or how you're supposed to behave in a marriage and the relationships you have. You talked a lot about in your book about this idea of shame, shame being the thing that, that kind of keeps people in line and definitely you know kept you in focus as far as what you thought you're supposed to be. What is the role does this shame have? I mean, how did it start to shape early in your early life? I know, of course, if people read the book, they'd know about how it started to shape. But what was the messaging you were hearing as a young person about who you were supposed to be in the world? Yeah, I don't think that I necessarily put the label shame onto it until I started to see the impact of it. You know what I mean? Like started to see, started to evaluate what wasn't working in my life. And so I credit that. I started some of the work that I do with personal development with Landmark Education. Have you heard of Landmark? Uh, Yes. So I went through their program and really they have a conversation around different distinctions around integrity. I like to use the phrase, you know, being in alignment or authenticity, but you know, same difference. And so I started taking on what areas in my life I was being inauthentic and why. So it wasn't until I really started digging into that, I was aware that I was, in essence, ashamed of my sexuality. I was ashamed of myself. Shame was the unspoken narrative of driving a lot of my actions. It just was always running in the background from early age, my mother, you know, sharing the heaven and hell literal interpretation, which now I feel like, you know, the Bible's all a metaphor. But, you know, when I was eight, nine years old, I didn't have the logical reasoning capacity to question my mother when she told me hell was a real place. And I needed to believe the Jesus story to keep myself from there. For me, I internalized this reality of eternal damnation. And there was something wrong with me and I was fundamentally flawed. I didn't automatically go right into like, oh, yay, Jesus saved me. I'm in heaven now. I'll go to heaven. Yay. I never got to that point. Kind of stayed in this space of terror and fear and just like constant feeling like constantly judged and definitely got worse as I entered puberty and, you know, the teen years and started looking at the Bible and what the Bible said about homosexuality and feeling very like internalized. Like I was, my existence was against God. When you feel like your existence is God, I mean, shame is the only output of that construct. Do you know what I mean? It just kind of ran everything. So I did everything to try and not be what I felt I was ashamed to be. Felt that I was ashamed to be gay. So it's like, okay, get a girlfriend, do the marriage thing, and then have the kids and do all the things. And 14 years later, when I started deconstructing all that programming, it was like, okay, this isn't working. And then this isn't working. It's pretty much continued some different layer of deconstruction for the past eight years around, you know, what doesn't work and how I can better work to be myself. So let's talk about this journey of writing this, because returning to a lot of these stories, as maybe authors out there are listening, who have either attempted to write a memoir or thought maybe they should, or being and have, like you were, encouraged to write down some of this stuff for others. 
where did you decide to compartmentalize so you could do the work, so you could write it? And what was your process like when you decided, okay, I'm going to start telling this story? You know, it wasn't, like I said before, just posting the things on Facebook. I'm just like, oh my gosh, if I'm just someone who's like, I have to post something. It's like, I just have to do it or else I feel like I'm going to die. So I just, you know, it's just the life coach part of me. And I just posted that and that content was there. After my father passed, it was like, okay, now how do I put all this together? And what's the grander picture here? And so I didn't want it necessarily just my stories. I didn't want it to be like a memoir. I wouldn't consider myself. It's great if whoever wants to do a memoir, but that wasn't what I felt called to do. I felt called to give people almost like a workbook combo. So to give them action items, to give them like, you know, the work that I have done through all my various programs and platforms and retreats and classes and therapy and da, 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 like, you know, all the work through all the reading and the seminars seminars and all the different, the structures that I've had. So I wanted to give people access to practical things that they could do. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to tell you a story about this construct of heaven and hell and how it impacts the world of duality impacts us, you know, thinking that there's an either or when in reality, let's talk about how everything is connected and everything is one and keeping ourselves in this world of duality can actually cause resistance. And how can we center ourselves and ground ourselves and accept everything? So each story kind of displays a different component of that and then provides some work, you know, okay, is there someone you need to forgive? Is there some, a bowl burning ceremony with yourself or like throwing stuff away or working through your resentments or a meditation or a grounding walk or every chapter has a different thing. It wasn't until I had finished all my stories, copied all the chapters and whatnot from Facebook and put them all in a master document. And I started to see those themes, you know, like I saw the themes. And at the time when I was writing, it was just more like, oh, I just have to write this. And then as I zoomed out and kind of looked at it all, I saw those themes of the world of duality and what I call the gift of contrast. We know what we want because we experience what we don't want. And so from the first story of this construct of heaven and hell and other stories that represented forgiveness versus resentment, other stories that represented life versus death. It's just kind of like this whole thing that popped out at me with the world of duality and how we can come to ourselves. We can come to the center of our own heaven within when we embrace all of it. And so then I just started breaking down each chapter and finding those nuances, whether it was life, death, you know, heaven, hell, whatever, and then started writing the application sections. So it's like, okay, here's a story. Now here's what it represents. Now here's what you can do. Reflect on these areas in your life. Where in your life are you doing this? Where in your life are you almost getting in your own way, for lack of better words? What would your life look like if you continue to do those things? And what would your life look like if you rewrote and reprogrammed and did something new? And so each chapter has an affirmation around embracing your sacred orientation and coming to your center within, loving the past, the present, creating your future from that space. I just started working through each one of those chapters and writing the application sections. And that component didn't really take that long. Once I saw the theme and was able to pick it out, that component didn't take that much long to complete. Right. So let's talk a little bit about you wrote this book. I think it came out last year, the end of last year. And you were. Yes, on um, Christmas launching this book, sharing it with the world. For authors who are thinking about sharing a story or maybe something that's more personal, even if it isn't more, having something about your life, go out there. What were some of the things, the responses to the people that who began to read the book and connect with it and kind of understand who you were now that maybe sort of all the stories were collected into one spot, you know, some of these teachings? Um, well, it was really interesting. I mean, particularly writing a book about coming out and then you like write a book about it. And then so it's like even more coming out. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, 
you know, a lot of people use the phrase, you know, this book was writing me, you know, not to sound cliche, but that's really what it was for me. You know, in looking at, okay, I want people to know about it just because, you know, if I'm going to put the blood, sweat and tears into putting it together and the, from the covers and editing and all the things, particularly from my background of owning other types of businesses and promoting other businesses and events and marketing and PR and all that stuff. I understand the importance of that. And the process in that promotion was like, you know, so for instance, I have a food truck event production. I do event production and festivals for food trucks. And so I have my little group of food trucks that I service. Like once a year, we hold a big party pretty much. It's like, okay, what can I do? Like, okay, they got to all know, like I got to tell them about my book. I have in my bio email signature thing, you know, my, a URL where you can go and you can see, oh, I served on the Austin Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce for two years. I don't hide my sexual orientation in any way, shape or form at this point, but I don't come out and be like, hi, my name's Case and I'm gay. And how can I help you in your business today? Like, it's not that much in your face about it, but it was like putting out that email to my food truck client. It was over for like 400 something members in Austin. Like that was a process that was like, oh, even though the book was done, I continued to out myself and get more out of the, my comfort zone and almost take my own advice. And as I've been recording the audiobook, it's like, oh, okay, I get to take my own advice and come out of my comfort zone and do the work, continue to do the work. And the impact that I saw was a greater expansion of myself, a greater bravery in myself, more courage to be myself, and more just getting into that space of a willingness to be authentic and a willingness to be vulnerable and a willingness to say, hey, this is who I am. Apparently, this is the book that I felt compelled <laughs> to yeah. make all about being out. But you know, yeah, so it's, I was surprised, honestly, like one of my food truck clients was, he bought the book and he's like, oh my God, I want you to come sign it. He was like a cheerleader. And I was like, what? Willie? What? <laughs> like Willie is his name. And so it's, I've been very pleasantly surprised to receive the, just the love, you know, like I haven't been the receiver of Maybe a couple little, you know, here and there, like you need to tone it down type people. But um, for the most part, it, it's been very humbling and I'm very thankful. Yeah, that's awesome. As you tell these stories and as you wrestle through using them as a way to help others, when you think about writing in general, will you have other books in you? Will you share more through the form of a book or is this the one that like you could exhale, let it go and kind of place your mark in the world or, or is this author thing feeling like maybe it has some place for you to go yeah lots more like i have a <laughs> i have a notes file in my little app my notes app like i'm looking at now one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen sixteen seventeen eighteen nineteen i don't even know like 20 30 something like podcast slash book notes slash topic slash i'm definitely a writer i can't not write like i said before even if it's you know, posting something on Facebook, I'm in the middle with this whole like revamping my business and reevaluating and getting everything online, you know, doing more writing online on my own platform as opposed to social media and finding the themes like this first one was just like, oh, I just needed to get it out of me. You know what I mean? Like I was very clear that this is like, okay, that's done. And now what? You know, like I had other books I wanted to do and I'm doing, but yeah, for sure. I can't, can't not. Yeah. So before, now obviously you can call yourself a writer, an author, and that's probably the persona that you owned 
Tell us about, there's a moment in your book where we were running, I think, three restaurants. You had a young family, you still were in the closet and just came crashing down on top of you. What was this restaurant business like for you? So help paint the picture because maybe some of us have worked in a restaurant, maybe some of us have like owning three, man, keeping them running, having all these employees and the stress that it brings. Where were you in that moment where you start to tell that one of the early chapters about how life started to crumble? Yeah, well, I was definitely going, drinking a lot, um, looking to alcohol to cope as well as antidepressants. And I think it was a kind of a subtle process. And anyone in who's been in the service industry knows there's a high rate of substance abuse. And so it's just very, it's very commonplace that everybody drinks after work and da da da. da. So I had started drinking and then drinking more and then drinking more. And I think at one point I was up to probably close to a six pack of beer a night throughout. So I had my little 20 ounce cup, paper cup of beer, and then I would pour usually at least three of those. So, you know, five, five or so beers, and then a bottle of wine a night. And that was just normal. And I kind of felt a little crappy the following day, but it was just like, oh, I just got to be like, oh, I got to, oh, I can't, oh, you know, oh, I can't, you know, it was just that space of not being present, you know, knowing now what I know, I just was unwilling to be present with my life as it was created. And I had a lot of, I mean, it was a lot of fun, you know, in terms of, being in the restaurant, I've always been in the, I mean, I was, started washing dishes for Pizza Hut when I was 15 years old. And then I was a cook and a delivery driver. And then I was waited tables and I worked in a bar. Then I managed a bar. Then I managed a restaurant and then opened a restaurant. But, you know, so I did have a lot of fun. You know, it was almost like my escape away from home and away from, from everything. And I think that the alcohol just added to that. And so when you're in that space, and I'm coming up on two years sober I'd cut back after the after coming out and the divorce and all that stuff, but I still found myself using it as a crutch to relax using it, using alcohol as a substance to kind of just like breathe and relax. Like now I can just do it for free <laughs> through breathwork, <laughs> yoga and meditation and water and just be more present in my life. So that's that's a whole other I mean, I touch on that a little bit, but at the time it just kind of sneaks sneaks up on you and snuck up on me. And uh, kind of just got into an um, overdose situation, accidental overdose situation, I'll call it, because I'd been on Prozac and I drank for my birthday and, you know, it had a few drinks. And then my cousin was hanging out in the in our little back guest house we had at the time and he was smoking weed. So I was like, oh, you know, when in Rome, it's my birthday. And then it just all, you know, kind of culminated in a nice little near-death experience for myself. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, even then in that moment, it was like, it's still, the light still didn't come on for me. And I just, I just kind of like took a step back and was like, oh, maybe I'm not doing, maybe this isn't the healthiest thing for me. And it was probably about a year after that, that we had moved to, not even, it was probably about 10 minutes later that we had, you know, sold 10 months later, rather, that we had sold the um, restaurant and relocated down to Austin and, and all that. But uh yeah, the, the deconstruction slash crumbling has been a, a slow process for me in, in different waves of dramatic falls, if that makes sense. Yeah, dramatic <laughs> yeah. falls. That might be a good title for a book. Exactly. <clears throat> um, so, you know, what, what I find interesting when, when like people's worlds collide, you know, like ours perhaps did here, is that um, everyone has their own journey to to be in and to to walk from. Um, it's not all, you know, everyone feels that their story is unique and it is. And yet within it is this, this concept that, you know, as we tell our truth, as we show up for ourselves, well, we, we can start to tell the story that we finally own, not the one that was told to us 
not the one we thought we were, but the one we say, who, who am I? Who do I get to be here? I thought there was many places in your page where you start to reveal that um, it sounds glamorous to have three restaurants. It sounds great, but there's the parts behind it, which were probably really stressful and causing this depression and anxiety, which is, is really effing hard to, to keep everything running. And, and I'm thinking about people in these days, it's the era of the COVID-19, where how difficult it is to be anyone in the restaurant business. And so you have a, a strong amount of empathy. And so now currently you're, you, you help these amazing food trucks. How what was the transition as you were telling your story? Because all of your life still has to happen, even though you're coming out, it doesn't get to come to a grinding halt. So you sell right. a restaurant and uh, you start helping food trucks somewhere along the way. Where's that, that intersection? Well, I'd also been in, you know, being very entrepreneurial. I went to, actually went to school for advertising and design and, you know, had a quote unquote real job for a creative services department for a, um, you know, marketing and IT consulting firm. And, um, had transitioned into real estate just by kind of happenstance, you know, and built a, built a real estate career. So it was, I decided I was either going to open restaurants or have a real estate brokerage. And there's a whole other story attached to, to how it came to fruition that I decided on the restaurant. But, you know, I've always been very entrepreneurial. So after we sold the restaurants, I was like, okay, I'm going to get back into real estate because that's what I did. And that's what I was going to do if, if I hadn't done the restaurant. So, you know, kind of building this business and franchise model, da, 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 da. So, you know, I had, I transitioned into commercial real estate in particular. And so, you know, it just made a logical thing like, okay, where do I reach, you know, in, in terms of like consulting and commercial real estate, where do I reach people? Where do I reach people who want to open their own restaurants? And it was food trucks. And so I just moved to Austin. I think this was 2011. And so there wasn't that much of a food truck scene in Washington, D.C. compared to Austin at the time. And of course, when I'd opened my restaurants in 2005, there was like, no, like you didn't have that option to open a food truck first, test your concept, do any of these things. So I always found, I was always very fascinated with the idea of them. And I went to my first food truck festival in Austin and there was like 12 or 13 or something like that. And I was like, oh, I don't want to, I'm a Gemini. I've got commitment issues. So I don't want to like pick just one. I want a little bit from each one. And so there wasn't, there wasn't any kind of festival, anything like that, where it was like a bunch of food trucks coming together, where it was like a taste of the food trucks, where you get like little samples of everything. And so I started integrating into the food truck event production community and, and uh, meeting other event, uh, event producers in that space because I wanted to create something for the food trucks. But then I also wanted just to get to know them for my own consulting slash commercial real estate practice. And so that's just kind of how it, the event took on its, its own legs and I certainly had my share of, you know, consulting and, and um, commercial clients from it and helping them find a space, helping them find spaces. But it's been interesting now, you know, being in this space after I, I published this book and I'm like, okay, now what am I? Am I a business coach just for food trucks? Am I, am I a life coach? Am I authenticity coach? And what am I doing with COVID-19 and what's going on over here? And like, I mean, you're right when you say I have, you know, empathy because I'm just like very few people can actually understand what it's like to run a restaurant. But then on top of that, to almost lose your restaurant and look at, you know, this fear conversation, this conversation of around fear and money and finances and what am I going to do with my life and all these things that I have, I've personally experienced in my own entrepreneurial journey of losing, you know, with the divorce and, you know, financial ruin and all these other things you know, I very much understand the narrative of feeling like there's no hope, feeling like, you know, there's not going to be food on the table and overcoming that. And so you're catching me right at this point where I'm like, how do I repackage? What do I create? What do I, you know, how can I help my community? And so I'm, I'm always in that space. Like right now it's like, you know, connecting them to apartment complexes 
and feeding doctors and nurses and connecting them to business and just doing whatever shows up for me. And so when I'm in that space of doing whatever shows up for me, things tend to work out. So I'm, I'm telling that story now as best I can to my clients and, and whoever else will listen, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's incredible the way you've sort of rebuilt yourself multiple times. The saying that has come up to me a couple of times during these times is, you know, you survived every hard moment until now, which is incredible. And we will also survive the hard moments. What advice do you have, final advice do you have for anybody out there thinking that they want to write a book? What encouragement would you give them? Uh, over the, you know, over the cliche, just do it. I would say, just do it. <laughs> you know, yeah. just start. I mean, obviously it depends on what you were talking about. Like if you're talking about a fiction versus nonfiction, I mean, there are different, I would say different pieces of advice. I mean, fiction, you've got a whole other, that's a whole other conversation, a fiction piece versus nonfiction piece. So I can definitely speak to the nonfiction piece of, you know, just writing it and just devoting, you know, 20, 30 minutes and being okay with it evolving, being okay with, you know, not necessarily having to have the whole thing figured out. I mean, I, my mom said this and I use it in one of my stories, you know, is it what God wants you to be doing? Or even, you don't even have to say that. You can say like, do you have it on your heart that it's what you wanted to do or that you, that it's what you want to do? And if the answer is yes, then that's all you need to know to do it. And so, you know, she also said this, you know, if, you know, she was like, well, that's your mustard seed, you know, there's your, you know, mustard seed of faith. And she said, if, if faith required a blueprint, it wouldn't be faith at all. And so I think for me, you know, being an entrepreneur and being a business builder and having own businesses and things, I think that I've noticed I've, I've been able to execute a lot of things because I'll just go and I'll just do it and I'll trust the process because I know that even if I were to create this master plan, this master blueprint, it's a, you know, a business or a book or anything like that is an organic evolving process where I'm going to go to step one and then step two is going to look different because of how step one turned out. And then, so then step two is going to be different because of step one, two, you know, and then it goes on down the line. And so for me to say, here are the 12 steps of exactly how it's going to go and what it's going to look like is not only limiting me, it's limiting the process and it's keeping me stuck before I even start step one, because I think I have to have all 12 steps done. And so just, you know, for me, it was like, I knew what I needed to do and I did it and I went and I did it. And then I did the next thing and then the next thing and the next thing. I was very okay with not having the end vision of, you know, how it was all exactly how it was going to look, which again was very challenging for me because I've been very clear on some things and some things I've not been very clear on. And I like to be clear. And there's a lot of people in the coaching community specifically who are like, oh, you need to have the vision and da, da, da. I didn't have any, I was just like, I didn't even have a subtitle. And I'm just like, I still am like, oh, I should have picked this other style. I should, uh, you know, and I was very stuck on titles and covers and all this, you know, the minutia of everything for a very long time because I wasn't clear. I was just clear that it, I needed to get something out there. And so for me, that was a success that I completed it and then I got it out there. And yeah. so it's just, you know, being with the process, being willing to not, not be perfect about it and being willing to be in some kind of action around it every day. Perfect. That's great advice. Yeah. Take action every day and just do it. Case has been really great. Thank you so much for being a guest here. We'll link up your book coming out by going in to in the show notes and look forward to hearing more about your books as they evolve. Yes. Thank you so much, Aswell. I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you for listening again to another episode of Authors Who Lead. 
We appreciate you being here, and we hope you subscribe so you get this delivered to your device every week. And if you haven't left us a review, please do so. It really helps. And if you have a book in your heart, you've been wanting to write a book, please go to authorswholead.com and join us on this journey of becoming a published author.